This is the Art of Living Well Radio Network. Radio to inspire enlightened living. You're listening now to the Honest to God series with Angel Rose and Ahanu. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to our show today. This is Angel Rose, and my beloved Ahanu is sitting there at the helm. Morning, everybody. <laughs> Ahanu, it's a cloudy day today in San Diego. What can we do? I know. Can you believe that? I mean, what's happened? I don't know. I don't know, but I woke up and, well, to the birds singing, of course, which are very, very beautiful, but I was waiting for that sun to peek through, and so far it hasn't, maybe in an hour or so. But, you know, I love the way this there is symbolism in our everyday lives, really, because there is so much happening in the world, really, that change is the only constant, as they say. And when we have a little change in the weather, you know, we look to the bigger picture and we see, we try to see what's going on. (laughs) Well, you know, we have a very, very special guest today, our own Penny Kelly, who's who's come back again to talk about these changes that are happening, and especially in the light of the threat on. Uh, Kesha's life and this is really needs to be discussed and we're going to be talking of course about the development and the growth of consciousness that he's bringing to the world and the, these are wonderful subjects and we're actually going to do a separate program on the symbolism in our everyday lives because everything that happens really is, is hugely symbolic for us in all kinds of different ways and I don't mean to go down the rabbit hole with this in terms of analyzing everything and go into psychotherapy with it that's not what I'm talking about what I'm talking about really is a, a high level interesting correlation between what's happening on the big picture and what's happening in our own lives right and we will be doing an article series on this actually and so people can look forward to this it will be called symbolism in our everyday life and we will be looking at our symbolic universe as a represented as a representation of our consciousness so that proves to be quite interesting but first ahano i have to tell people that ahano's book is will be out actually quite soon because it is at the publishers and they are printing that as we speak and I'm so excited because I want the very first signed copy by my beloved Ahanu. I can't wait to hold it in my hands. Ahanu, the reincarnation of Columbus, which can be purchased at the reincarnationofcolumbus.com And isn't that symbolic in its own way, Angel Rose, when we when we look at the whole idea of reincarnation and our fear of death. And then when we look at the symbolism then of our subject today, the threat on Kesha's life, and considering that there's a threat on the whole planet, really, in terms of our way of life, our, our environment, our cultures, our belief systems, everything is changing. And a lot of, ta- a lot of times it's actually changing for the better. But in the meantime, it seems that we're in the dying throes of the old way. And uh, it's like the reincarnation of a better self. Well, I think once we get talking uh, about me, what's his name? Me, Miran. 
Mehran Kesh. M-E-H-R-A-N. M-E-H-R-A-N Kesh. And many people probably do not know who he is, Ahano, so we are going to have to enlighten our listeners about him. But um, as we will discuss with Penny, this is the typical, and I do mean to emphasize typical, uh, witch hunt that goes on in our world about anybody who is bringing forward anything that will help our world, that will better our world, that will allow us all to keep living and living well. Let's just put it that way, because as we know, uh, there is a, a population control agenda, at least in my opinion, where the powers that be think there's too many of us on the planet and would love nothing more than to have many of us leave the planet. So uh, this particular gentleman, as we will soon find out, is somebody who has gone beyond uh, our science into, actually he's gone beyond Tesla, for those who are aware of Nikola Tesla's work. He's gone beyond it into inventions that not only purify water, but uh, cure diseases. Just about any problem that our society is is going through now, this man has found a solution for. A nuclear physicist he is. And Penny, we brought Penny back on again today, or we're having her back on, because she's aware of Kesha's work. She actually did some work herself with Dr. Levengood on plasma fields. And that's what we want to talk about today with her, <clears throat> well, is the, is the plasma fields and how they work so that we can understand some of this technology a little bit better. Penny has been with us several times before where we were discussing consciousness and energy. And for those of you that may have missed those episodes, let's give you a very little background, I guess, a little update on Penny. She's a a writer, a teacher, a consultant, a speaker, publisher, and a naturopathic physician. And she has been researching and exploring consciousness, cognition, perception, and intelligence for over 30 years She's written six books of her own, while at the same time she publishes books on the subjects of spirituality and health for others. And Penny has shared with us her experiences of consciousness and the growth of awareness. And the most recent time we discussed sex and kundalini and the evolving or collapsing of the world as we know it. But before that, and back last year, we talked about dreams and whether Jesus really lived or not. But today, we're continuing our discussions on consciousness and specifically about the threat on the life of Mehran Kesh. And Penny is clear to point out that while she's familiar with and understands the work of Dr. Kesh from working with plasma energies with Dr. Levengood, she may not be the best person to talk to in terms of the details of the threat on his life. But she will talk to us about the fact that he is able to create plasmas by using a combination of magnetic and gravitational fields. And she tells us the implications of plasma energy are phenomenal. They are game changers at every level, personally, at physical, mental, emotional and spiritual levels, and globally in terms of the political, business, medical, agricultural, financial religious and energy fields. Penny, are you there? Yes, I am. Good, Good morning. morning to you. Yes, it's a cloudy day here, so I can <laughs> sympathize. 
<laughs> we would expect that where you live, though, Penny, but not here. <laughs> well, yeah, it's um, when we get a sunny day, we go, oh, what's what's wrong? The sun is shining. <laughs> <laughs> so, gosh. Well, thank you for coming on again at such short notice. And, uh, you know, this whole thing about... Uh, me, me and Ron Cash has really piqued my interest over the past uh, week or so mm-hmm. with the threats on his life. I was actually, well, I'm sure somebody like that always receives threats on his life, but he is obviously <laughs> um, really taking action this time about getting his work out to the world. So would you begin, Penny, by telling our listeners what you know about uh, Mr. Kesh and his work and what you think is happening there. Well, um, what I know about his work is really publicly available in an interview that he did in September uh, 2011. It's a just, it's a two hour interview and it is phenomenal. And it, you know, it kind of lays out um, how he started you know, what he was playing with, et cetera. And so I'll just kind of review that for people who don't want to bother to listen to the two-hour video interview. But he was a kid raised in England of Iranian parents. His father was involved in, I think, nuclear medicine. And he said, we grew up at the supper table eating, drinking, thinking, talking, nuclear stuff, nuclear medicine, nuclear, any kind of radiation. So when he got older and went to college, he decided he was going to become a nuclear scientist. And he went to school, graduated, um, got into the work world after graduation and (laughs) discovered that the um, nuclear field was so tight, so tightly regulated so rigid, so unmoving that there was absolutely no room for innovation, for new ideas, for experimentation. And he, within a short time, said to himself, this is going nowhere. I, where can I do, what can I do, where can I go to discover, you know, to implement, to, you know, engineer some of the things that I'm interested in. And so he left the field of nuclear engineering or nuclear science and went into the study of space. He decided to tackle um, all of the things that had to do with space, all the problems that space travel presented to us. And those, I think I mentioned those on another show, those four things were uh, food because they simply could not transport enough food to go, you know, 300 light years or however many light years, um, you know, that a a ship would have to travel. Uh, The second thing was medicine. If you were out there billions of miles from the planet and you got sick or needed surgery, you know, you you couldn't run to the doctor on Tuesday morning. And so um, medicine was the second thing. I think the third thing was, um, uh, I, I know it was energy. You know, how do, how would we produce energy? Uh, we couldn't use, you know, rockets full of hydrogen fuel or anything of that sort. We just wouldn't be able to, you know, you'd have to have a hundred rockets full of fuel to keep one spaceship going. 
So, um, you know, he decided that he was going to um, address these. And I forget what the fourth one was. But um, anyways, it's in the interview that he does. And so he started and he basically figured out um, how to resolve all of these issues by studying plasma. And plasma is what Dr. Levengood and I were studying, working with in the lab in Pinelandia laboratory. And so when he said plasma, I thought, oh, yeah, okay, I get that. (laughs) Um, And I had been through five years of private mentoring, tutoring in astrophysics and just biophysics and things like that from Dr. Levengood because I was preparing to write a book about his work and and through that whole process I ended up working with him and so I really came to um, I'm going to say begin to understand plasma and, and and so that's you know Maran Kesha's background he's a plasma specialist and plasma is a phenomenal uh, subject that we know some things about but, you know, we're learning. We're learning every day. But Cash has really done the homework. I mean, from this point forward, I think it's mostly going to be application and how do you engineer this, that, or whatever. And he's already done, a, you know, a great deal of that. So it's, um, you know, it's an amazing subject. And so I hope that, I hope yeah. people will see that interview. Yeah, that's an absolutely wonderful um, overview. Now, one of the things that I find really interesting about Dr. Kesh is the fact that he he seems not to come from the old school of protecting information and keeping it close to the chest and charging millions of dollars for it and and ke- keeping it into the 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 um, what do they call it the ah um, what's the term for it where people only share stuff between themselves and don't share it out amongst the wider... Oh, there's intellectual property <laughs> intellectual, that is very exactly. closely guarded. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Now, he, he, on the other hand, and we've, we've looked and, and watched closely some of his interviews, and he's very, very open about wanting people to share this information, wanting it to get out into the wider public, wanting to make it available to all the governments of the world and all the people of the world. Where do you think that kind of an attitude is coming from? Or is that representative of the the new consciousness that you speak so eloquently about? It is. It is. And that's a really good point to put in right at the beginning of an interview. I have observed in my dealings with people around the world that only in America do we have that kind of, it belongs to me kind of attitude. And when you get out there in in populations of people like the Iranians who have been so harassed and so put down and so vilified over the years that they develop a a tremendous appreciation of life. And Kesh has that tremendous appreciation of life. He probably had that backed up in his family. If they were medically oriented, always the conversation was probably, how do we do this so that we can save that life, etc.? And that begins to be cemented in a soul in terms of perspective. How do we save lives? How do we celebrate life? How do we further life? 
and that you know that new consciousness that is a, a perfect example of the new consciousness that is coming um and i think you know it's important to be aware that in the higher levels of consciousness the further you go up in terms of your abilities the less privacy there is there's no need for it because the more you go up there's less judgment and and so the more you evolve the more open and loving you become the more loving you become the less judgmental you are mm-hmm. and so there's no you know people only want to hide what they're doing because they're afraid they're going to be judged harshly and you know and yes. rightly so yes. um and so we really need to address that whole question of judgmental yes. attitudes and, now, and biases yeah now we we understand that anybody who 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 puts out a threat like that to somebody else's life we understand that they may be at a particular level of consciousness but do you think at this stage penny that the growth of awareness is at a level now where that will have no effect or do you think you know the threat might succeed and we will never get access to this wonderful knowledge that this man is bringing forward um, well, at this point, it's anybody's guess, but um, Cash himself, when he, um, when he was abducted a few years ago by Canada, he was on his way to Mexico, and, and Canada picked him, picked him up, and all of his materials and all of his computers and his hard drives and everything. Um, he, at that point, made, I think, a life-changing decision. And he was so upset with the Canadian behavior that, you know, they, they basically took all of his material, copied it all, and he said, I would have given it to them if they had simply asked. So when he got back home to Belgium, he decided that he was going to put everything that he had out there in the public um, you know, for public view and public knowledge, and he was very intent on the on his goal was to rid the world of war, no more war. And he will say, in, and he mentions it in many of his interviews, we're done with war, we're past the time of war. You know, this technology makes it makes war just totally, you know, useless, stupid. Um, which I think it already is. <laughs> yeah. We're just not getting the message. Yeah, yeah. And can you so, tell us just very briefly from your own background w- with knowledge of plasma energies and so on, how how his his technology and how his knowledge and information can get rid of war? What What is that one single thing? If you could condense it down in plain language for us, Penny, what is, what is the technique or the methodology or the the science that he's using to get rid of war? Well, um, for instance, and and in a minute, I'd like to take time to make sure that people know what plasma is and how it operates, okay? Sure. Um, To get rid of war, what he has been able to do is to um, utilize a very unknown law or property within the universe which is that like attracts like 
And so when you have a particular frequency operational and you get that frequency going strongly enough and you direct that frequency at something, it will draw to itself whatever is of like frequency or like material or materials that have that frequency as part of their their dynamic, I guess is the best way to say it. So when he says he wants to end war, what he has been able to do is to simply, um, for instance, uh, take a missile, which is using, you know, chips, circuit boards. Circuit boards are full of very unusual metals, platinum, uh, perhaps, I, I don't know what all is in them, but some of the um, very, very special metals. And he duplicates their frequency. And, you know, whatever gold or silver or platinum or iridium or whatever is in that circuit board suddenly is pulled out and drawn to his technology. And the circuit board stops operating and the missile just, boom, falls to the ground. Wow. Uh, that is very, very disturbing to the powers that be. They have poo-pooed his work, and he has, after his capture in, or his kidnapping for four days in Canada, he went home and invited every single country in the world, something like 180 to 200 countries, to come and attend a seminar in which he would teach how to build these technologies. And the, you know, I think there were about 120 countries who responded. Not everybody responded. The countries that did not respond were the EU and the U.S. and Canada. They're all doing their own things secretly. Right. They're pretending that, you know, they don't know when, and when they do know. Yes. <laughs> um, and so they are, uh, they put it off for a while. They put off uh, acknowledging that they had this technology. And then, you know, they, then they tried to get it going in secret and et cetera, et cetera. And then they tried to, and I think they're still trying to match it up with some of the UFO kinds of things that they had already been studying and trying to reverse engineer for the last 40 years. And so, you know, they've been slow. Some, com some countries are, are going full speed ahead openly with it, saying this is fabulous. And so we are becoming ar archaic, I guess would be a, a good way to describe um, U.S. technology. And, um, you know, and, and the oil giants, the oil dinosaurs, are just frantic. And I, you know, work with some pretty high-placed people here and there around the world. And um, just last week, I, somebody said to me, the oil companies are frantic, absolutely frantic. And he said, and I don't know why. And I thought, hmm, I know why. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's because they, they see the handwriting on the wall. They are probably yeah. hearing some of the things that are out there. So do you think that's the origin of the threat then? I've, I'm not sure what the origin of the threat is, but I would be willing to bet that the origin of the threat, since he's Iranian, is that it's coming out of either the EU or Israel 
um, they are, you know, the Israeli, uh, not the Israeli people, but the Israeli government is really kind of, um, they're off balance quite a bit, and they're, um, you know, they're just, I worry about them. I, they just don't ever break down and exhibit any love or any tolerance, and they have a pretty long arm, and uh, Cash has given all of his technology to Iran, and I would be willing to bet, I haven't looked, don't really want to know, <laughs> Um, who is doing this deep threat, but I would be willing to bet that it's either Israel and the EU or Israel and the U.S. or some combination of CIA and Mossad together. And Cash was disturbed enough that he put all the rest of his technology out there for people to upload in the hopes that if he, if the assassination threat was, um, you know, became real, and he was taken out, that his work would still be there for people, would still lead toward a future where there was no war, would still lead toward a point in time where the earth could heal because these new technologies allow that. So, Penny, you know, he, he verbally and openly says that the threat was coming from the king of Belgium, and... Um, I, I wondered about that because he spent so much time in Belgium and worked with Belgium and the right. king for so long. So why why do you think that that king would turn on him like that? I, um, I, I think I'm pretty aware, and I don't like to make blanket statements, but most of the powers, most of the heads of state in the EU are directly under the control of the Vatican Israeli forces and they just do as they're told and I do he did talk last year that Belgium was becoming a very uncomfortable place for him and that he was thinking that he had to move and he was talking to his wife and she was you know saying oh it's okay you know it's all right we'll be okay and he was like no I don't think so (laughs) But he didn't really have a place to go. I I didn't hear him say that he was drawn in any particular direction. And so I thought, wow, um, you know, that's it's Belgium's loss. And, um, you know, there I, I think what we're seeing is a pretty serious threat at this point. One of the ways to counter that is to make it very, very public instead of running and hiding stand up and, and do exactly as he did, um, you know, and and there can be still lots of foolishness that happens, but uh, he doesn't have any really good, friendly places to go within the, the cultural circuitry that he's been part of for his whole life. England would probably be worse. The U.S. would not allow him. He was considered an enemy of the state here for a couple of years. I think that's been removed. But, um, you know, and where to go to get the kinds of, um, you know, educational systems and the kinds of of technology and, and power, and, and when I say power, I mean energy, uh, as in, you know, the, the kinds of... of educational research institutes 
that could carry on his work. Those would be pretty big obstacles for him at this point. Right, and I, I believe he's in Italy now, isn't he? That was the last I thought. I don't know where he is. Okay, <clears throat> he yeah. travels quite a bit, and he stays for a while in each place because he's really working with whoever is there, whoever is, um, you know, whoever he happens to be. He works with scientists and their laboratories all over the place, all over. And um, he, he was traveling very freely for quite a few years, and then all of a sudden, you know, word started to get out about what he had discovered and what he had engineered. And that was when countries started clamping down on his freedom of travel. Yeah, you know, I, I just I just get so upset when I hear this stuff. And just for our listeners, because I'm sure um, Mr. Cash and also what's going on with him is probably new to a lot of people, that the yeah. what he has said is the actual threat on his life would be that they would... Um, capture him and his wife, uh, torture his child and kill his child and force him and his wife to watch and then kill his wife and either kill him or put him in solitary confinement in a prison for the rest of his life. This is the threat that is now on this man's life. And, you know, I just have to say that the evil of this world you know, just never ceases to amaze me, even though I'm aware of so much of it. But when you hear stuff like this, you know, it's the typical thing that's been going on historically with every single person who has, Mm -hmm. you know, been an advocate for peace, an advocate for life, an advocate for the involvement of the human race. Every single one of them is taken out, assassinated, and it's the same old, same old, same old. And, you know, I I am of the opinion that it is the people, we the people, have to rise up against this stuff. Because, you know, people don't do anything because they're terrified. And even exposing this on the radio show today, you know, um, I I and Ahanu both, we're, we're at the point where we're like, enough already. In fact... Ahano, you just had a dream the other night, didn't you, where, well, tell the dream, because maybe it relates to this thread as we're speaking today. Yeah, let me tell you about this penny, yeah. because, and, and I, I particularly want you to know about it, because I know, and we've discussed in the past, the power of dreams, and you have the ability to be able Ooh, to go yeah. into multiple levels of dreams. So let me tell you what this was, and let me preface it, first of all, by saying that until speaking with you and coming into the awareness of consciousness with Angel Rose, I, I never attributed any meaning to dreams at all. I thought it was just something we did and that was the end of it. But now I know I know better. But here's what happened. I found myself in a, a big, what seemed like an auditorium or maybe even um, a, a school hall, you know, where a sports hall in a school, Right. Mm-hmm. And there was lots of people sitting as if watching, uh, as if um, watching something going on, and there was a, a bunch of soldiers out front, and it was very threatening. The soldiers were in control; they they were th- threatening to shoot or kill anybody that moved or stirred. 
So it was very much a demonos. It was very much a power and control situation. Now, what I found was myself and Angel Rose stood up and we walked out into the center of the, the hall. And these soldiers were very, very threatening to us. And we had decided in our minds, and, and you know how in a dream you can think things and say things and you don't understand how and where you, that came from or how you can do it. But nonetheless, I can remember uh, saying to myself, we're going to comply with what they want for the moment. And they were ordering this and ordering that and ordering the next thing and we were going along with it. And then suddenly the moment came where both of us like looked at each other and said, no, N-O, absolutely N-O, no more. And with that, we walked towards the door and suddenly all the people in the auditorium stood up and walked en masse with us out the door into the light. And mm-hmm. I thought it was highly symbolic. I mean, I'm not claiming any kind of ego well, credits. Police, though, in the yeah, they, you said they backed down. They stood down. They stood down. They could. They had no oh. more power and control. Just with the word "no," they actually stood down, and uh, we all walked out to freedom. And I thought it was very, very mm-hmm. symbolic. Seeing we were talking about the symbolism today, and uh, what's your interpretation of that? Wow, it's pretty, pretty clear, pretty obvious. The auditorium usually symbolizes that. Um, you're auditing something in your life. And something, the word TOR is in there, T-O-R, and you can add a hypothetical E on the end. Something has been tearing you up or you're torn about something. And there's something to be learned because you also described it as a school, a stadium or something like that. And there's a, an audience in this auditorium and they're watching and that really is, you know, true. You are both actor and the audience in any scenario. And the world is also implied in this. There is a very large audience watching what's going on in the world. And everybody is afraid. You said soldiers are marching around out there and they're threatening to kill anything who moves. And, and you know, and that is the threat that most people sense or feel and um you know and the the worry is what if i speak out what if i stand up what if i do this um you know i'll be killed etc something bad will happen so you go along with that for a short time and then all of a sudden you and ann gail stand up and say you know well we're going to comply for the moment um you know and and that just says that well we're waiting for a moment, and and you do have to wait. Here's the whole key to success in anything: it's timing. And once that timing, once that moment has been reached, almost you know everything in you will recognize that. And you did. You said no, and you and Angel went to the door and you walked out into the light. And the soldiers stood down, and everybody, you know, <laughs> everybody went with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what that says is there really has to be an awareness that we're all here together, we're all in this together. There's there's a phenomenon that I see happening in the U.S. I think the, the issue is that um, the U.S. is behaving and acting exactly as 
Nazi Russia or Nazi Germany behaved and Russia behaved in the days of the Cold War and World War II, mm -hmm. they believed all of the propaganda. They were not, either they didn't have time or they had lost their ability to put two and two together or to think for themselves or to reason things out. Um, that's one of the downsides of the, the religion that we have is, is that there's this, um, this directive that comes with all religion. Just believe. Don't think about it. Don't reason. Just believe. Well, once you accept that in terms of your religion, that filters down into all the rest of life. And so people begin to say, oh, I just have to believe. And you see that everywhere. And it really reached a high point with the thing, the um, movie called The Secret. Um, you know, just believe and it will become. It will be true. And in some cases, if you have a powerful enough consciousness, yes, that, you know, you may see some action and some results. Here and there, you'll hear a story and it'll encourage you and you'll keep on believing and that's all you'll do. There won't be any action. What you and Gail did in the dream was to stand up and walk. You took some action mm -hmm. and discovered that, you know, oh, <laughs> you know, the soldiers stood down. What yes. were you really afraid of? Yes. And so the Russians were afraid that the KGP was going to haul them away. You know, the Jews were afraid that the Nazis were going to haul them away. And in fact, they did get hauled away because they didn't have enough sense to run or, you know, they just kept believing that it could never happen to them. Yes. Well, the U.S. is right there. Yeah, this was one of the things that I found shocking. And I, and I think I may have seen it in some of the recent movies about Nazi Germany at the time. And that was the fact that you might have had a thousand Jews lined up and there would have been two or three German soldiers controlling the entire. And I've said this before on our radio program, how, how that majority of people would submit to being treated like that That's when right. they could have just said no and, and snort. Okay, a soldier might have killed three or four or five or ten of them. But the thousand would have That's walked right. free, do you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They would have overwhelmed the two or three that were there yes. and said, what are you doing, my child? What are you thinking? Yes. This is not the way we treat one another. That's the way. So I want to move on over here, Penny, because I do want to discuss uh, Plasma Fields and Kesha's work. But let's first, for people who are not aware of the influence of the Vatican, can you can we just briefly touch on that in terms of the extent of their control and what they're really involved in. So can you share with us what you know about that? Ooh, well, um, yeah, I'll, I can share some basics. Um, basics. <laughs> the Vatican's control has been long and, and pretty ferocious, okay? Um, and, and I'm going to say for at least the last 2,000 years, they have been um, willing to engage in all sorts of deception and murder, etc. I have heard, I don't know that it is true, but I have heard that there are 12 men who pose as Jesuit priests who run the Vatican Bank and the, the entire system, and um, the system meaning the financial system of the world, and that they are um, 
really, I think the term they use is Zionists. And, um, you know, that there is a fairly strong, uh, I'm going to say, structure still in place that links the Vatican and, um, you know, all of Europe and England and the Holy Land and Israel, etc. And they are busy trying right now, I think, to um, pull off their plan, which is to eventually uh, rule the world, to divide the world into three sections, the Americas, the Euros, and the Asians, and have three currency systems, and to break up all of the major uh, powers that be. And we just saw one breakup happening in Ukraine. And, you know, if they can break those big systems down into uh, small tribal uh, warfare kinds of things, and, and I think this is coming to the U.S. by, you know, within the next seven or eight years, uh, the breakup of the U.S. and the... Uh, what that does effectively is is prevent any one group of people from amassing enough money, weaponry, and power to counter the power that these uh, Zionists want to want to maintain over the world. And you know, who knows what their you know your guess is as good as mine as to what their intentions are. Maybe they really do want peace, and maybe they think this is the only way to get it. Uh, et cetera, et cetera, but, you know, there's a lot of ways to go about making peace, and killing people is not a good calling card for your ideology. So so that's, you know, the Vatican is very, very powerful. There are financial accounts that they run that are well hidden. Um, You know, if you read some of the stories of the blue screen accounts, it just raises the hair on your head and you go, oh my God. (laughs) So all money is fictitious. The whole thing is a fiction. All financial stuff is a fiction. It comes down to that. Yes, yes. And, you know, we we often see the opponents of uh, earth changes, you know, being in denial about earth changes. And in the same way, mm-hmm. we also have people in total denial about what's going on in the world of politics and religion. Yeah, and and you'll also have, you know, you'll have conspiracy theorists also, you know, who may take take something and run with it and go off down the rabbit hole with it. But the, oh, the fact yeah. is that it's evidenced everywhere we go, every day, every every newspaper, every radio article, every television uh, news program. There's evidence of this kind of conspiracy going on all over. And it, it's beyond denial mm-hmm. at this stage that there is a move afoot to destabilize things. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And... and and they're really not even um, hiding that anymore. A few years ago, they moved from this very subtle um, kind of action and, and effort to being, you know, we're running out of time, um, you know, we're running out of of support, things are changing in ways that we didn't anticipate, we're going to have to break things up. And so they've started, you know, down in South America, they started in... 
Um, if you look on it on the world map, what you'll see is a line being created right down from Russia, down through you know the Kiev and area and Ukraine, and then down a little further through Syria, and down a little further into Lebanon, Egypt, and down through Africa into that whole west, or I think it's the East Africa. Um, there's all kinds of uproar, and that is the line that they are hoping to create that will divide uh, Europe and Asia. Right. Because, you know, East, the old West. saying is, if Europe and Asia come together, it's all over for the rest of the world. Right, right, right. So let's just take this opportunity to have a very, very quick little break. And when we come back, we want to talk, as Angel Rose had asked, about the plasma, but specifically how it relates to the food and medicine and energy of the future that Dr. Kesh talks mm. about. So we'll be right back after this. Okay. This is the Art of Living Well Radio Network. Radio to inspire enlightened living. You're listening now to the Honest to God series with Anne Gail Rose and Ahanu. And you're very welcome back, everyone, to our wonderful show today with Penny Kelly talking about the world and Miran Kesh and the threats on his life. So, Penny, uh, can you, we do want to talk about plasma fields because this is the major a component of Kesha's work. And I myself do not completely understand what plasma is and what those fields are. So I know you've done a lot of work with Dr. Levengood on them. So could you describe for our listeners what plasma is and what plasma fields are and then the implications of working with plasma? Okay. Um yeah, this is the part I love. Talking about the world is usually a lot of generalizations and a lot of what-ifs, but when you get to the science, it's like, ooh, yeah, okay. Um, the uh, Let me try, for those who haven't maybe heard me say this before, let me kind of try to paint a picture of what a plasma is and how it operates, and then we'll begin to be able to see um, how to use this, how to apply this in the world. So if you think of a plasma as this cloud of particles, okay, and the particles are all, uh, they're sort of uh, in communication with one another. They're all ionized, okay, so that means that they all have a specific charge and they seem to organize themselves in such a way that that there are free electrons um, in that cloud, and the electrons move, and they and so let me see. Um, there's a couple of different forms that I think would be useful. One is to imagine a torus or a donut. That is one of the ways that a plasma will operate. And uh, another is you imagine this cloud, and then you imagine this little tiny thin circling, um, tornado-shaped spiral up the center of it, okay? And uh, and that, that little thin rotating tornado 
is right in the center of the plasma, and it is, um, there are particles of energy, other particles that it will bring in, kind of suck in from the space around it, and they, those will move down through the center of this tornado. And when it gets to the bottom, they'll be dispersed and they'll either be sucked back up and around or they'll be pushed out. So a few will be pushed out and quite a few will be, you know, rotated back through the system. And so what you get is this cloud of, of intelligent particles that if you disturb them, they reorganize themselves. If you try to break them up, they, they regather. If you apply a magnet to them and you swing that magnet back and forth laterally across the cloud, you will get these immense pulses of, of energy that, um, you know, that will appear on your chart recorder if you're in a, a scientific laboratory. And if you move the magnet up and down in the same direction that the little tornado um, volcanic, uh, you know, spiral is going, you can either move against the incoming energy or, you know, against the outgoing energy, but you will affect the speed <clears throat> at which the, um, you know, the particles are moving through that little, um, that center. So that's kind of like a, a fair picture. Um, it moves through time and space. Uh, it has frequency, um, and and it can be a, the entire cosmos is considered a gigantic plasma. And then there are microplasmas, and microplasmas are what we studied in the lab. Um, microplasmas are, were not well known, and in fact, I don't think they were even suspected. And um, but what we came to was that everything including the human being, was a collection of microplasmas. And those plasmas were very, very sensitive to any kind of electromagnetic field, any kind of gravitational effect, and they were also highly um, organized by consciousness. They would respond directly to consciousness applied to them and uh, there are these rays that come out of the eyeball of each human. And I won't say anything more about that. Just know that there are these rays, these blue rays that come out of the eyeball. And when you would, if you were to sit in front of a plasma or any body, it wouldn't matter if it was a human being full of plasmas or, you know, a body of water or a cup of tea or whatever, and rotate your eyes around that plasma system, the plasma in it would begin to shift and change and respond to the impact of those eyes, um, those, because the eyes are actually laser-like beams that come out of the human being. And they serve to illuminate, those two beams serve to illuminate the uh, structures, the possible structures in the plasma soup. So, and, and that really is the basis of holographic photography and holography and all of that. Um, but, you know, it's not well known or understood and certainly not in terms of plasma. So plasma is the fourth state of matter. 
It is self-organizing. It is um, conscious. It appears to have an intention or a, you know, a particular kind of intelligence that it absorbs. So now let's talk about that intelligence just a little bit. So you've got this field of particles and this little thin spiraling tornado down the center of it, this vortex. And information particles are coming in. As those particles move through that vortex, they create an electric current. At the bottom of the vortex, there can be tremendous amounts of electrical charge. Um, you know, I'd just say up to 10,000 volts in some cases um, for some of the bigger vortexes. So you, got, you get these particles coming down. Any moving particles will create an electrical, or any moving electrons will create an electrical current. That's what electricity is. It's the movement of electrons. And uh, as they do so, they give off these electromagnetic waves that are at right angles to the line that the electricity is moving in. So if you have a wire or if you have a human and electricity is moving down into the human, you have this electromagnetic field that, that shoots out at right angles in every direction and those fields contain frequencies and those frequencies are all about spin and amplitude and, you know, repetition and what am I attracted to and what am I, you know, what sort of, of charge repulses me, etc. And the result is that you get the formation of molecular clusters or cells um, and those cells then operate using the frequencies and the motion and the intelligence of those plasma fields. And so what we began to be aware of was that the human being was a collection of plasmas. So, and we actually started working with water, distilled water, um, and plants, you know, geraniums and um, different, you know, different kinds of plants. Um, and so what we, it didn't matter what we worked with, animals, plants, soil, water, um, you know, leaves off of trees, wood, everything had these plasma structures and they would respond to whatever was happening around them in such a way that acknowledged what was happening and then returned to their own stable formation. So that's basically a plasma. Okay, okay now, plasma... Okay, questions? Yeah, I'm, I'm wondering how, okay. how that relates then to food and, and how we can use that in medicine and in energy, like the way Dr. Okay. Kesh is proposing. Okay, so now you have these plasmas, okay? If you can modulate the frequency and the, you know, the, the electromagnetic field that is, you know, that is part of the plasma, you change the structures of what can come together within that field. So, for instance, 
let's say that you decide you're going to create a plasma field that has the same energetic structure as H2O, what you get is water that appears out of thin air. It appears to, to just appear. <laughs> um, and what you get... Um, it, so let me say a little bit about um, isomers. Um, an isomer is a, a molecule, let's say. Let's use water, for instance, H2O. Um, I think I've used this once or twice before, but it bears repeating because it takes a while to get this. You have H2, um, you know, hydrogen atoms, and you've got one oxygen atom, and that, or particle, and that is, um, you know, it's uh, H2O is the signature. So now if you imagine that big old fat oxygen, you know, particle right there in front of you, and you imagine one small hydrogen on the left, and 180 degrees from that is the other small hydrogen, you have h Now, those two hydrogen atoms are 180 degrees from one another, but let's say you move one of those hydrogens so that one is on top and the other one is still on the left side. Now they're only 90 degrees apart. That is an isomeric change. And when you change the isomer configuration of water, you change its properties and what it's capable of and the way that it utilizes energy and how it sustains or breaks down or absorbs or et cetera, its, its fluidity, all sorts of things can change. So what, um, what Cash has done has been to explore and experiment using plasmas to create different um, structure. There, it, he changes the geometry. It's all the same particles, but they, the geometry, the way that they're built, the pattern that's sometimes called a lattice structure is a little bit different. And so what you get is something that has different capacity. So what he's been able to do is to produce carbon, which is the basis of all food, all food. It comes from carbon, carbonaceous plants. And, well, yeah, well, even animals. Okay, so um, what he's been able to do is take carbon and change the geometric structure of the lattice and make it a solid instead of a gas at room temperature. And one of the things that wow. Dr. Levengood and I were able to do was to produce superconducting energies at room temperature, and we were astounded by that. It was like, oh, my God, <laughs> because typically they're only produced at, you know, minus 283 degrees Fahrenheit. And so what Cash has been able to do is to play with the signature of different things and to figure out how to arrange that plasma, um, those, that plasma such that certain isomers are created that have a slightly different configuration and that will then perform differently. And then, so he takes carbon, makes it into water, or makes it into food, and then he implants or imprints 
whatever frequencies are needed to restore the human body. So when you eat food, you're really eating food because you want the frequencies of the particles in the food. And if you don't eat too much other junk with the good food, what you get is this enormous, um, you know, generation of frequencies within the system that just keep cleaning out old stuff and so you can have a healing crisis. Um, and so, you know, what he's done in his effort to condense a tremendous amount of nutritional frequency information into this little bit of solid carbon and, and you know, you don't really even need to eat what I'm going to call apples and pears and grapes and et cetera anymore. And that is how, in fact, some of the um, beings from other places have managed to do space travel, and, and they do eat a very strange combination of some kind of gooey paste. And, um, you know, that's, that's how and that's why they have been able to travel here. So that's food. Right. Okay, well, and, and let me a question? Let me throw in a very quick question here. I don't want to take you off your train of thought because th this is very fascinating and it answers a lot of questions for us. But one quick thing, Penny, is 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 what you're saying there about turning the solid in? Uh, sorry, making a solid out of gas and making nutrition and eating effectively eating the frequency. Is that the same type of thing that? Uh, the likes of Jasmine when she talks about pranic nourishment and uh, sun gazing. Is that the same idea that you would actually get your nourishment from energy, from the sun, or from other, from a frequency, as opposed to digesting a solid? Absolutely. <laughs> right, right. Absolutely. The sun contains all of the frequencies of the entire planet, of our entire solar system. So if you can develop, and, and it takes a while to develop the pineal gland or pineal, some people call it, uh, gland in the brain to begin to receive light, then you can begin to do sun gazing and take in all of your frequencies right from the source. And as it stands right now, you know, we have, we grow plants, they grow in the sun, they pick up frequencies from the rain and from the soil all sorts of things, and they produce a fruit, whether that fruit is wheat or rice or apples or strawberries or whatever, peas and carrots. Um, we then take in those frequencies, and the more we take in those frequencies, that, and you have to take in frequencies that are aligned with your own energy system. And even though we tend to think all humans are alike, ooh, that is not at all the case. Every human body-mind system is amazingly distinct, has its own things that it can tolerate and won't tolerate. Allergies are what we call those intolerances to certain things. So we get too many things that are, you know, way off your frequency and you're going to develop an issue. You know, the closer you can get to your own frequency system, the better you will maintain yourself. So, so I think yeah, it's important. I just want to make a point to our listeners, Penny, what you mm -hmm. said about 
that in order for a person to actually live off of the sun, uh, the sunlight, they have to first develop their pineal gland. And I I think that's an important point because we, we just it recently is. had a friend who decided she was going to be a breatharian and um, she starved to death. So could you just comment Ooh. on that real quickly? Because I think people think, oh, well, yeah. okay, I'm just not going to eat anymore. I'm going to just sun gaze. And then they die. Oh, whoops. Uh, no, no, no. If the you have to go through the whole process of sun gazing, and it works for most people. I don't, you know, I, this friend of yours is the first one I've heard of who it hasn't worked with, but people have gotten into trouble here and there, and had to stop for a while, and you know because they're trying to go too fast. But the process usually starts. You stand on bare ground with bare feet not on grass, bare ground, sand preferred. And you look at the sun when it first comes over the horizon for 10 seconds. That's your first day. The next day, same spot, bare feet, 20 seconds, you're looking at the sun. And you just keep increasing by 10 seconds every day, bare feet. By the time you have worked up to, you're looking at the sun for at least 45 minutes a day. And it has to be while the sun is, is right over the horizon. Once it's up, once an, you get to an hour past, um, you know, sunrise, you have too much UV and your UV has to be zero, one, or two in order for there to be no damage to the eye. So UV and timing, very, very important. And then you just very slowly do this. And then, you know, you get up to where you're looking at the sun for 45 minutes a day. And then um, the next, the second portion, and that takes about nine months to a year. And then the second portion, and you eat normally while you're doing that. You don't just stop eating. Yes, you start the doing yes. the sun gazing. Sun mm-hmm. gazing. And then uh, the second portion of that is you um, you walk for one hour on bare with bare feet on bare sand every single day in the sun rain sun shine you know um, et cetera et cetera and it, what you're doing at that point is exchanging your energies for earth energies and you are tuning up fine tuning you do your sun gazing and then you do your walking. So that's a two-hour chunk out of every day. You know, your sun gazing is 45 minutes, and then your walk is an hour. And um, and then at that point, you will begin to discover that you, if not already, uh, that you're not hungry and you're not losing weight, and you are beginning to utilize, um, you know, the frequencies of the sun directly. Right. And then you can begin to back off of food, and you can eat if you want, but you don't need to as long as you keep up the sun gazing. Right, right. So I don't know what your friend did wrong there, but um, it is a very, very um, exacting process, and it takes some time, a couple years at least. Yes, yes. Now, let's go back now to where you were talking about plasma and isomers and, and healing illness, yes. And what we want to know is how is this technology being utilized or how will it be utilized in the field of medicine okay okay so every single 
kind of matter or body of matter, whether it be a human or a, a dog or a tree or whatever, has a basic electronic or electromagnetic or plasma signature. We'll call it a plasma signature. And that signature, Cash has been able to identify what the basic signature is for a given, for any, for a human being, for an animal, for lots of things, okay? Lots of things. So what he started messing around with was the idea of maybe I could or we could um, put some, uh, you know, some frequencies together and that once we've identified if this is the basic structure of human, because all humans are born really pretty, um, pretty similar, and then we begin to specialize very, very quickly, um, right before birth and then after birth is a tremendous um, diversification effort that goes on in the body. Um, it's an adaptation kind of thing. So he's been able to identify what is that basic signature, and and then um, he applies the plasma field to your body. He just puts you in that field. Your body and any other plasma, that all plasmas communicate, and they respond to one another. And so he has been able to, um, you know, simply reset someone's his plasma signature, I guess would be the way to, I think that's how he describes it, reset that signature to its perfection. And so whatever the disease was, whatever the problem was, is just gone. It's just erased as if you're erasing, you know, a chalk off of a chalkboard or, you know, marker off of a whiteboard. And he's been able to do that with cancers, with comas, with ALS syndrome, with MS syndrome, with, I think, I'm not sure he's done anything with simple things like colds and flu and virus, but, um, you know, that has been uh, a piece of his work that is very, very um, aggressively being pursued in a number of places now, and and, um, he's been really gratified to see that you know, people have cancer one day and they don't have it the next. Or, you know, people in a coma um, have, you know, they come out of it and sit up and talk and walk just like they um, haven't been out for six months or a year or whatever. And so it's been, I, I think, what he's really got here is what I saw with when I was with the little men in brown robes. They had a system in which they... You laid on a table and some sort of field was generated using lights and some, you know, I didn't understand it at the time. Now I realize they were generating plasmas um, with that table and you were in between these two um, tablets, like, <laughs> and the tablets had your, had certain spots on it where they matched up with your own plasma intake areas. Those are your chakras. They have been known as chakras for years and, and, you know, for hundreds, maybe thousands of years. And um, lots of scientists have poo-pooed, oh, there's no evidence for that. Well, 
now there is. The plasma, if you turn it on its side and you look at the human as this standing plasma with all these, you know, intake inlets or intake uh, vortices, there's your chakra right there. And so he's been able to erase disease. And the fact that the chakras, Penny, seem to, each one seems to be a different type of vortice in the sense that each one either has different frequencies or perhaps is functioning at a different uh, angle of spin, like you suggested. What's the implications for that, for the human anatomy then? Where are we, where are our chakras actually hooking up to? Uh, They hook up to the spine. The spine is the um, spiral vortex down the center of the body and um you know what the spine has actually solidified in the midst of that vortex and the the fact that they are different um that each one of those chakras is taking in different kinds of energy different frequencies of information is critical to having everything function in the body um we are a stack of plasmas and each one contributes a particular kind of function. Some do basic structuring and some do finessing. Um, you know, we are very much a finessed creature and, uh, and we continue to finesse ourselves as we grow and learn and change. Um, the key thing I think to being able to keep all of those plasmas open and operational is breathing. Um, you know, that's also an old-time healing uh, technique from way back when. So, um, yeah, chakras are uh, very, very critical, and if you get one that stops working or slows down, it can cause the whole system to go out of whack. And, and you know, and so then some disease shows up. And disease is the result of energy being unable to move freely through the plasma and generate the frequencies it needs to generate in order to create the new cells in the, uh, that have the right form and function. Right. And we're doing that constantly, right. constantly. Now let's just uh, give a little bit of information to our listeners. Penny, you mentioned robes, the, the men in brown robes. It's a book that Penny Kelly has written entitled Robes, A Book of Coming Change, and it's highly recommended. We have a copy of it ourselves and really, really is a fabulous look into the next century and it turns and twists and gives absolutely amazing and enlightening and unnerving information about the coming changes. So we will put a link to that on our show notes as soon as we finished today. Penny, I just want to ask you, you know, what we're talking about today is are things that Kesh has been doing in the laboratory um, with science. But I want to ask you, is there a way to work with plasma fields with with thought and intention without having to go into a laboratory? Yes, yes. With thought and intention and um, breathing and action, you have a changed plasma system because plasma responds directly to consciousness and it changes its formation in response to consciousness. And so it's really, um, and the other thing I would say is it's an interactive system. 
So, you know, lots of people, let's just talk about meditation for a second. Lots of people meditate. Um, you know, lots of people think that meditation should be something in which you get very, very quiet and you have no thought and you remain empty. And yeah, you know, it, in an advanced meditator who's done all of the personal um, work on their physical, mental, emotional bodies, then maybe emptiness is a good thing and you'll have an opportunity for kundalini to occur. But if you're a beginning meditator or even an intermediate or sometimes even an advanced meditator, you really need to be interacting with the system that you are. Here's something that I say from time to time. It's all in the body. It's all in the body. We tend to think that, oh, the body is a bad thing. That is an ancient Gnostic attitude that the body is bad and it's a distraction. The truth is that it's all in the body, the spirituality, everything, the whole reason for developing any sort of a particular kind of spirit is to be able to live that, act that, speak that, you know, and be that spirit within this world. And then we'll have a spiritual world. Otherwise, what have we got? You know, we've got this, you know, bunch of people running around who are saying, oh, everything material is bad and everything spiritual is good, and nobody has a clue what the spiritual is or how it looks and how it acts. It acts through the body. So, you know, the in meditation, it's an interactive system. Plasmas communicate. If you meditate, you want to learn to listen and to develop an ear and a feel for what is your body telling you. And it will talk to you. Ideas will come up in a moment of unguarded consciousness. Oh, I'm really hungry for this. I really shouldn't be eating that. I really need to exercise. I really don't like having to deal with her. Every time I deal with her, I feel bad. I really am in a bad relationship. I really am in love with him or her and want to explore that relationship more deeply. Whatever is coming, those are your truths and those are what lead if you can stay open and not think of, okay, now we're to the point of, you know, no more change has to happen. If you can remain in an open system and there is no end point, for lots of people in relationship, the end point is marriage. For lots of people fiddling with their diet, the end point is a certain weight. The goal is really to stay in an open and dynamic relationship and to develop a conversation with the body. It will speak. Those plasmas will communicate. Ideas and pictures will come up in your consciousness because you are that consciousness of those plasmas. So allow that to happen, and you will be—you will find your way to help. It's amazing. It's an—it's an amazing system. Okay, now what about the part of manifesting things out of thin air? You know, back in the day when I was an early meditator and exploring consciousness, I was fascinated by, you know, materialization, dematerialization, teleportation, <laughs> Saint Germain and his ability to manifest anything out of thin air and living, you know, being able to live physically as long as you wanted. And, uh, 
so, so, you know, and I myself had a dematerialization experience, although I couldn't tell you the process of it, just that it was the result <laughs> of uh, continued meditation and being brought to different places and my consciousness shifting. And all mm-hmm. of a sudden one day I was, I dematerialized, but um, I couldn't tell you how it happened and I haven't been able to reproduce it. So in terms of the plasma fields and Cash has his ability to manifest water out of thin air. Tell me a little bit more how that actually works, Penny, because, you know, this is a lot to take in and the dominoes haven't really clicked in my brain yet. So could you talk a little bit more okay. about that? Yeah. Okay. So let's say that you have a, quote, manifestation chamber. Okay. Within that chamber, you want to set up a plasma and you want that plasma or an, an arrangement of plasmas, you know, and you want to be able to, um, you know, have the exact set of signatures in the right locations to be able to manifest, uh, you know, whatever. It, the, the thing that I saw being manifested was a piece of, of layered glass. And, and it very slowly assembles basic outline. And then it begins to fill in, and then, you know, and, and then it completes itself. What you have to have operational are the abilities to, and I'm guessing here to some extent because I haven't been part of those kinds of things, but what I observed when I was with the ropes and in watching Kesha's, um, you know, and reading his work, um, you begin to see, oh, okay, um, the if you can create the perfect arrangement of, of laser-induced plasmas, then you can, it, the plasma, by definition, is the basic energetic structure of matter. And so you can then create that matter. It comes together um, naturally. Well, how, how is it that a, a human baby um, starts from two cells and ends up being trillions of cells that are busy, you know, taking in, excreting, communicating with one another. You know, the eyeball doesn't usually form in the armpit, and the fingernails don't form, you know, where the teeth should be. Um, What is it that makes that system work the way it does? It's the intelligence within the system, and the frequencies all being in the right place at the right time with no interference. So that's how something is created out of thin air. You simply create the matrix of plasmas, and voila, you get the matter that you set out to get. So can you do that with thought and intention? Uh, Yeah, you can. I have seen it done, too. Um, not in this realm, but in other places. And, um, and I've also experienced, um, you know, being from other places have this amazing ability to create um, what I'm going to call scenarios, plausible scenarios in someone's mind. And those tend to change the function of the individual, a little bit. 
uh, temporarily. And, and typically they're only designed to be temporary because you can't invade and take over, you know, at least the ethical beings do not invade and take over um, anybody else's form. You have your own form to deal with. And the goal becomes to celebrate life and to nurture life. But, yeah, you can dissolve. You can, you know, I have done that. I've watched the process, um, you know, three or four times now. It's the same each time. Um, you know, the the old scenario, walls, floors, everything just dissolves. Um, the new one begins to form with just basic outline, like you would see in a coloring book, you know, little dots all lining up. And then it begins to fill in, and you watch it fill in, and um, you know it's 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 astounding what we are discovering about the reality and the possibilities of reality is astounding, and that I think is why Cash is such a game changer because everything that he's done takes us beyond all of the what I'm going to call old technologies and all of the old thinking. And if you think about the fact that these plasmas are self-organizing, then you come right up against, hmm, okay, but where does the Bible say that? You know, how is God implicated in that? And you have to come to a new understanding of God. And that understanding is that the God stuff is the stuff that we're made of. And there's, it is the intelligence in that stuff. And so that changes everything. That means you have direct access to the God within, and that is expressly the issue in religions. They insist that you have to have a priest to have access to God. And so, you know, there's a lot of, there are a lot of cultural changes and shifts that are implicit in Kesha's work, Um, you know, from A to Z. Yes, yeah, yeah. Let me just just say maybe I know we have to end Ahano, but I just want to say thank you, Penny, first of all for this, but also maybe our listeners we could all be using our thought and intention uh, to just generate a plasma field that protects the life of Mr. Kish. Of Kish, yeah, very good. Yeah, yeah I would um, say let's be let's do that, and I will. Um, definitely be part of that. <laughs> okay. All right. That's a, a beautiful note on which to end our program today. We spoke about the background to Dr. Kesh and where he was coming from. And you mentioned about his public two-hour interview on September 11th that uh, is worth a listen. And we will post a link to that so people can actually listen to it. You spoke about the four problems that Dr. Kesh had identified. Uh, We couldn't remember what the last one was, but we talked about food, medicine, and energy. And then you gave us an absolutely wonderful introduction to plasma and to biophysics and astrophysics and the like-attracts-like principle that portends the end of war. And that's an absolutely wonderful thing that we do need to explore more of. You talked about that threat on Dr. Kesha's life and the power and influence of the Vatican and the One World Order agenda. You spoke also beautifully and gave us a great explanation about plasma, what it is, 
and the fourth state of matter that it is. You discussed microplasmas and the laser light that comes from our eyes. We discussed holography and working with water, plants, animals and plasma. Isomers and rearranging isomers to make solids out of gas. You discussed and gave some great points for sun gazing and how to go about it and how plasma is being used in the making of food and medicine and in the area of uh, medicine the resetting of the plasma signature of disease and working with plasma with intention and how it responds to consciousness. And then we were coming to the end when we were discussing about spirituality in the body, about meditation, and about how plasma is the basic structure of matter. So all in all, that's been an absolutely beautiful and wonderful summary of the work of Dr. Kesh and your own interest in consciousness, Penny. We want to thank you immensely for being able to explain that to ourselves and our listeners and we will put the link to the Keshe Foundation and of course to your own work and at, the penny, at pennykelly.com and the link to your books also. Thank you Penny. You know this is an ongoing conversation as you know. We, we're creating a history now. <laughs> okay. I think you're right. <laughs> okay. And, and we I really, we so really yeah we appreciate you so much. You're welcome. Have a great day. So until next Saturday at 8 a.m. Pacific time, we send you our love, our blessings, and thank you for listening to Ahanu and Angel Rose on the Honest to God series. And as we say in Ireland, Sláin August Banacht de Liv Galair. This is the Art of Living Well Radio Network. Radio to inspire enlightened living. You're listening now to the Honest to God series with Anne Gail Rose and Ahanu.